adventure. Adventure, it's, it's interesting. Um, there's, there's not, interestingly, an appeal to keeping Australia safe. Um, perhaps it was earlier in uh, the Second World War where it wasn't felt as imminent. But it's not an appeal to keeping Australia safe. Have a look at this one. This is a current army recruitment poster. What do you, what do you think this is appealing to? Women, perhaps men, <laughs> yes, uh, certainly women. Duty, yeah. Okay, job satisfaction, the, the individual. Vision, vision, any other kind of thoughts about what this is? Or why, would you, why would you join the army if you saw this? Sorry? For self, for self. It's, uh, yeah, they wouldn't run a campaign today. Can you imagine it? We promised America. That's not what would encourage many Australians, I don't imagine, to join the army. It's interesting just to, just to kind of see the difference in what appeals to us, to people. Um, Today, we have to prove to people that whatever they're involved in has some benefit for them, for the individual. And so in that uh, poster, the army is a vehicle for self-actualization. You know, uh, be the best version of yourself, follow your dreams, find yourself. And we see this in a lot of areas of life. It's, uh, it's in many areas of life, and it's driven really by marketing and advertising. Nearly, nearly every moment of our life, we are bombarded with this consumer mentality. What can we get that's best for the least cost? That's the question that we ask ourselves as we see ads, as we experience marketing and advertising. And I think we'd be naive if this kind of way of thinking, this consumer mentality, hadn't rubbed off on the way we see church. A very large church in America conducted a survey a number of years ago. And they surveyed their wider non-attending non -attending people in their area. And they asked them this question, what do you want from church? And this is what came back. We want a church that never asks us to do anything that never makes any demands on us, that never kinds us, calls us to any kind of commitments or ever makes us feel accountable to serve anybody. In short, they wanted a church that never asked them to do anything, that placed no obligation upon them. This kind of mentality that pervades our modern world, this kind of mentality that we're all caught up into some degree is really at odds with what the Bible teaches. And it's at odds with the person of Jesus who said, I came to serve, not to be served. Remember Mark chapter 10 verse 45, I came not to be served but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. The way Jesus approached his life was not what he could get, or the best he could get for the cheapest price, at the least convenience. Jesus' mindset, his mentality, was one of gift. 
the gift of his life, the gift to others, the serving of others. And this is what we're going to think about through the month of February. We're going to think about the purpose, the role, and some of the roadblocks to us exercising our gifts in the life of our church. We want to do that with a solid biblical foundation because we know that the way Jesus speaks about serving and the way our world thinks about serving are quite different. And so we want to realise that the world has an effect on us and so we want to tune ourselves to what Jesus says. And so we want to have a solid biblical foundation but we also uh, recognise that everyone is different and um, we're all in different moments and stages of life and so we want this to be personal as well and so that's why we're running this series in parallel with what we kicked off last year called the 410 Project where we want to have a conversation with you around how God has built you and the areas of service in our church that you'd like to consider. We want to marry up who you are and who we are as a church, and where we're moving, our needs and our direction. And so if you haven't sat down with Liz or Anne or Di, it'd be great if you could sit down and have a conversation with them, um, hopefully before the end of February. And so that's what we're going to be looking at in our series over the next four or so weeks. Today, I want to give us a broad outline. You can see it there, um, hopefully, in, that on, in the blue in your outline. I want to look briefly at how we serve, who we serve, and what we serve. Um, so firstly, how we serve. The question that the church in Corinth was asking is, what does it mean to be spiritual? Now, we might wonder, what what does this have to do with gifts? Well, a lot, because when we see a person exercise a gift, when we see a person use a gift, for example, here on Sunday, um, up the front on Sunday, we might think when we see someone up the front praying, reading the Bible, we might think, "I, I could never do that. Or some of us might think, When we see someone reading or praying, someone might think quite the opposite. I could do better than that. And so the problem, and so there's a problem. There's a problem when people don't exercise their gifts. But there's also a problem when people do exercise their gifts. And this was the problem in the church of Corinth. What is it to be spiritual? How you answer that question drastically shapes the nature of the fellowship, of the collection of God's people. Because it would seem that in the church in Corinth, there were many people who had great abilities, great gifts, if you like. But those gifts were exercised in such a way that they made many others feel inadequate and inferior. And Paul writes to this church in Corinth, a church that was dysfunctional in so many ways. He writes to address their dysfunction, but he also writes to address some questions that they've asked. Uh, The questions that he starts to address are back starting at chapter 7, but we're going to pick it up at at chapter 12, 
verse 1. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there in verse 1, he picks up on the idea of spiritual gifts. He says, now about, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. The word there for spiritual gifts could be translated uh, spiritual people or spiritual things or matters. And Paul is probably picking up on the word that the Corinthians used as they wrote to him. It's kind of ambiguous, the language that he uses there in verse 1. But what's clear as we read the book of of 1 Corinthians is there are those people in this church who claim to be super spiritual. They're making a big deal about the gifts that they have. And they're setting themselves up as a superior class of Christian. And it's not surprising that the effect of this, the effect of people exercising gifts, is to make people, other people, feel like second-class citizens as Christians. Um, Back in the first chapter, Paul says that they have an incredible ability. In verse 5, he says, you've been enriched in every way. But by chapter 3, they might, be, they might have this incredible ability. But the problem with the church in Corinth is that they don't have a maturity to match their ability. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, I could not address you as spiritual, but worldly. And so how does Paul address this problem of, <clears throat> of people feeling superior in the gifts, of people feeling inadequate in their gifts? Well, what he does there in verse 2 is he reminds them of their past. He says there in verse 2, you know that when you were pagans or Gentiles, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. He casts their minds back before they became Christians and and he describes their life. He says that they're led or influenced, led or influenced by not the spirit, of God, but by evil. And so they know, they, sorry, they might not have known then, but they know now, as they have become Christian, that there was, there was something controlling their lives. There was something controlling their lives that didn't lead them to the worship of God. There was something that controlled their lives that led them to mute idols. And it could have been that they thought of themselves as highly spiritual people. They probably were involved in ceremonies, in religious ceremonies in the first century. What this is important, what is important here for us to realise is that it's not necessarily what we believe about ourselves that makes us spiritual. What makes us spiritual is God's spirit work, God's spirit at work within us. They may have felt spiritual, but Paul reminds them that they were anything but spiritual. And the very things, can you imagine, 20 years of participating perhaps in these religious rituals, 20 years of feeling spiritual, that false spirituality has carried over now that they have become Christians. And in verse 3, 
He reminds them what makes them spiritual. He says there in verse 3, it could be translated as Jesus is cursed or Jesus be cursed. But here Paul is addressing those who reject Jesus. He's addressing those who were caught up in a life perhaps of spirituality rejecting Jesus. And those who were religious as well, rejecting Jesus. Paul could be addressing, in verse 2, the Gentiles and also the Jews. Both thought of themselves as spiritual in different ways. But here what Paul is saying is, where is spirituality? Or who is spiritual? Those who are spiritual are those who profess and live under the lordship of Jesus. Those who know that he owns their life, that he is their master, and that when he is their master, they are his joyful slaves doing his work. The point the Bible makes is there's no such thing as a free person. We're either a slave to serving God, a slave to the Lord Jesus, or a slave to the evil one and therefore a slave to ourselves. See, no one confesses Jesus is Lord unless the Spirit of God has worked in their lives, given them a new heart, given them new eyes to see how this is a glorious freedom to serve Jesus as King, Jesus as Lord. You see, there's no... There's no function that operates in the Christian life that automatically makes us spiritual. It's not by participating in some ceremony. What makes us spiritual is our conversion. That moment when we realise that Jesus isn't our Lord and that serving with him as our master is what we're called to and in fact is perfect freedom. And so what Paul does here, as he starts to speak about gifts, is he basically clears the deck. He clears the deck to allow, to free people to serve without a sense of competition, without a sense of inferiority, without a sense of superiority. Because what makes people spiritual is not if they're up the front or if they're quietly during the week serving. No, that makes little difference or no difference. What makes them spiritual is their confession that Jesus is Lord and their willingness to live as Jesus is Lord. Secondly, uh, we're going to see who we serve. So I want to clear the decks and free people to serve, not by serving in a um, superior way or not by feeling inferior when others serve. And we also want to think about who we serve. Because Paul makes it clear that not all who think that they are spiritual are spiritual, but spiritual people, those who confess that Jesus is Lord, are all marked by spiritual gifts. This is his second section there in verses 4 and following, 1 Corinthians 12. Although there are different gifts we see in this chapter, they all come from the same God. 
Um, throughout the chapter, the words gifts, service and working all work in parallel. They're expressing the same idea of the people of God doing the work of God with the gifts, service and work. And so too in the chapter, as we'll see in the coming weeks, the words spirit, Lord and God are used to express the same idea. What Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that we are all gifted, but we are all gifted differently. And just because we have a different gift and because sometimes we can't see or know our gift doesn't mean that we're not gifted. No, it means that we're often just gifted differently. And our unity as a church is based on the God who gives these gifts, the one God who gives gifts to every single person. Each person we see in in this chapter in 1 Corinthians 12, each person of the Trinity plays their part in the building up of the church. Because although we serve one another, it's primarily God who we serve. And Paul makes that clear in this chapter. He says there, if you flick over to verse 12, he says that it's Christ who creates by his death and resurrection this new body, this church. And further down in verse 13, you see that this spirit baptises each person into the body. And further down there in verse 18, God has arranged all these parts just as he wanted them to be. You see who gives these gifts, these varied gifts. These varied gifts are given by the triune God, by Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Given for our sake, such that we might serve him. Well, what are these spiritual gifts that Paul, um, what are these spiritual gifts that God gives? Well, these spiritual gifts we'll see in the next couple of weeks. These spiritual gifts are the demonstration of God's spirit at work. In other words, the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives to sanctify us, to grow us into the conformity of the Lord Jesus. But what we'll see is remarkably that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives as we serve, as we exercise our gifts. Uh, Elsewhere in the Bible we read that Jesus makes himself visible in the church uh, in the book of Acts. The book of Acts, Jesus is showing up all the time. In the book of 1 John chapter 4, the Father makes himself visible as the church loves one another, but what we're going to see is that the Spirit of God makes himself visible as the church comes together to serve and use its gift. Gifts are given by the triune God for the building up of his people. And you can see there in verse 11 that it's a power that's working. It's a manifestation of the Spirit by grace, empowering us for the building up of his church. Sorry, verse 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. You see why gifts are given? Gifts are given aren't, gifts aren't given for self-actualization, for self-realization, for us fulfilling our dreams. 
Now, gifts are given there for the building up, for the edification of God's, of God's, uh, of God's people. Every Christian has a spiritual gift, and that spiritual gift is for the entire gathering of believers. It's not for our private enjoyment, but it's for the good of others. And we'll see this throughout the scriptures. It's not just the case in 1 Corinthians 12. We also see it in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. And 1 Peter 4, verse 10. Finally, I want to think very briefly, what we're going to see in the next couple of weeks is that God gives us not to serve a mere organisation, but God gives us to serve the body, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a tremendously important image as we think about service. And we'll see how rich, in the next couple of weeks, how rich this image is. Because the body has, of course, many parts, but those parts are not just committed to one another, those parts are knitted to one another. You know, when there's a, a teddy that uh, loses an arm, we had, a, we had a teddy a couple of weeks ago that the dog ripped off the arm, and you know, you can imagine trying to sew, sew that back on just to keep the kids happy. Uh, that's not the image of the church. It's not an image where we're uh, stitched together. Sorry, we're not, it's not an image where we're just merely committed to one another, it's an image where we are knitted to one another. Paul talks about the church as a body, and he does that so that we might understand what we are serving, what we are serving. It's an image that stresses our unity, but it's also an image, as we'll see in the next couple of weeks, that addresses our diversity. So you can see that uh, what we have before us over the next four weeks is this opportunity for us to explore the gifts that God has given. We're going to explore them with a biblical foundation. We're going to explore them in a way where we can see how we can fit in the life of our church. We're going to see there's great sacrifice involved. We're also going to see that there's great joy involved. And I know many people think that there's a problem of not knowing what their spiritual gift is, what their gift is, but there's a more essential problem in not knowing what your spiritual gift is. The more essential problem is not desiring to use those gifts for the strengthening of God's people. Our human natures are more prone to tear down than to build up. And so we're going to be working against our nature. We're going to be working against our culture as we come together as a church to consider how we might use the way God has made us for the encouragement, for the edification, and for the growth of our church. Please pray with me that God would use the next four weeks for his glory in the life of our church. Amen. Please stand as we sing.